Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I think that was the weirdest moment for me is when all of a sudden my dreams stopped being in Sichuan and they started yeah. being in English. I was like, wow. What is going on with my life? Like, is this... <laughs> I'm a Kiwi now. <laughs> yeah. Even now, I still wonder why I can't dream in Sitsuana, even though I can still speak Sitsuana now. Yeah. yeah. I just, I try to force my dreams to be Sitsuana, but they just don't, they come you out just in English. English. Yeah. English, yeah. Kia ora, we're your hosts, Julie and Sarade. We travelled around Aotearoa with our soundie Joey, meeting immigrant whanau, listening to stories and discovering what is said or not said between different generations. These stories warmed our hearts and broke our hearts. And over this series, we invite you two to listen in on Conversations with My Immigrant Parents. For this episode of Conversations with My Immigrant Parents, we meet Judah and his two sons, Tafara and Pako. All three were born in Botswana, where the main languages are English and Setswana. Tafara is 25 and is Judah's oldest son. Pako is 21 and came to Aotearoa with Judah when he was five years old. The two boys have different mums, and Judah and Pako initially stayed in Mahana, Nelson, where Pako's mum Annabelle was from. Because of some runarounds with immigration, it then took five years for Judah to bring Tafara over, so he came when he was 14. All three now live in Wellington. Just a heads up, this episode contains strong language. I've got five kids. Oh, no, not five. Six, including my stepdaughter. <laughs> two girls in Africa, two boys in New Zealand, Tafara and Paco. And I've got my stepdaughter, Shiloh, and my little baby, Stunya. They're nice kids, you know, I love my kids. We kind of like friends, you know, I treat them like my friends. Probably because uh, Tafara is, is a bit older, he's a little bit more chilled and grounded. And Paco, he's... A little bit wild, like, like a, a, the wild one. I, I'm taking that to age, but they're different characters. Our dad's name is Samuel Jirasuming. He's uh, from Botswana, Africa. He's 50 years old. <laughs> he's 50 years old, yeah. He's a, he's a bit of an academic. Comedian, part-time. Yeah, part-time comedian. Full-time grafter, bit all-around legend. He's more of a best friend than a dad. It's just, he was just so open to the point where we don't really feel like there's that barrier of father and yeah. son. You never like issue yeah. orders, it's always just yeah. you offer you wisdom, but it's still up to you. Suggestions and wisdom. The first time coming to New Zealand was a bit of a culture shock for me, to be honest. Like I could hardly hear what people were saying. Everyone <laughs> <Yeah>. was <laughs> talking so fast. Mm, I remember Barbara. Talking about wearable arts. <laughs> 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 this was wearable arts. Like, what's wearable arts? <laughs> she had to slow down. Said, wearable arts. <laughs> okay, wearable arts. But she was like, wearable arts. Wearable arts. She strung into one sentence. Eh? Yeah. Mm. And you spoke as well, like, fluently. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was weird for me being so novel. Yeah. All the no, kids were like, oh, okay. who's this? Who's this? I was like, a bit shy. Yeah. Strange. Okay, I can I totally understand that. Especially being in Mahana, a small yeah. school like that, was, you don't want to be too different. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be like everybody, like all your mates, so you can blend in. I mean, when you first came. When I first came. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that was like an African boy has arrived. And you downed it. I hadn't started school. I think there was like maybe two weeks in between before I started school. Yeah, you just, yeah, you so just, just arrived. Yeah, it might have been my first week actually. And, you know, back home we we hunt like birds, pigeons, doves. And to me, I was just like, that's another dove. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. let me just go kill that dove for myself and eat it. <laughs> and Parks had a little air gun. We can still little hunt like rifle, rabbits. Yeah, yeah a little yeah. air rifle and... I was like, oh, this would be fun. Take a gun for a test drive and a killer bird at the same time. Like, how easy can I get? And kill the bird, brought out to dad. I'm like, yo, check out this hunt I just got. <laughs> and then he panicked. He's like, no, no. <laughs> this is protected. That's <laughs> illegal. You can't be going around killing birds like that. It's <laughs> like, go bury it. Don't tell anybody about it. <laughs> I was pretty confused and kind of mad. I was like, man, that was a good hunt too. Like, yes, I got buried here. Waiting for the praise. Yeah. <laughs> we did. We buried by the history. <laughs> we did. <laughs> Never to talk about it. Oh, I learned that not to kill anything without asking after that. <laughs> I love this story so much. This Even really though I hate good. the idea of killing a bird, but. The story. It's a good story. It took quite a bit of time for Judah to be able to bring Tafada over to New Zealand because Judah and Tafada's mum were never married. So Tafada doesn't share the same last name as Judah, and this meant immigration required proof that Tafada was Judah's son. They even went as far as to ask them to take a DNA test. Oh man, it took two, three years trying to get you to New Zealand yeah. and uh, just the immigration, the just processing the immigration papers was difficult. New Zealand doesn't have uh, an office in Botswana, in like a high commission. We have to go to South Africa to do all that. So I talked to them about getting papers for my son to go mm. to New Zealand. Their attitude is like they're talking to a foreigner and then in the end they uh, said, okay, if you, you want to really take this boy to New Zealand, we want to prove that he's really your son. Yeah, which is fair enough because there's there's been issues of child trafficking and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah. In the second or third year of trying that yeah. the New Zealand immigration decided okay. to do DNA test. We did the swabs and did the DNA, waited. I don't know how long we waited for that. It was a mm. few months before the results came Yeah, I in. think now you, you came... We did the test and then you left for a bit, maybe. You came back three times. First time you came, I think it wasn't a serious trip, like looking at me coming over. I was maybe talking to my mom and talking to my uncles and things like that about me leaving. Yeah. I got pretty excited about it, told literally the whole school, everybody. Yeah. It didn't happen straight away. And then the second time you came, I was like, okay, nah, it's definitely going to happen. And then it didn't happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> I was like, okay, obviously it's not going to happen at all. Like, maybe I should just stop telling people that I'm going to go overseas and I'm going to go live overseas. And then, yeah, they, I think it was like you, the second, the next day you came to my school, I think. And I was in class and you're like, we're actually doing this. Mm. Get out of class. Even then, I didn't say goodbye to my friends because I didn't think it was real. I was like, yeah, oh, nice, yeah. it's not happening. It's, it's just going to be another run around. We're going to go to somewhere. Then I have to come back again and... That that time happened, and I picked my books in school when I left. Nelson was a funny little town. It was, it was interesting growing up there, though. Being a farm boy, mm. living out those days. I say like a good thing. Good things about living in Nelson. Yeah, the good things. About, I'm I'm glad we left when we did. It's good to spend some time there, get a bit of perspective. Mm. Had we come straight from Africa to say living here, central Wellington, there would have been a way bigger culture shock, big towers and everything, yeah. Yeah. compared to still the same running around outside. It's still the same lifestyle. I never mm. thought about it that way. Actually, it's a pretty good point. Yeah. 
Nelson got us grounded a little bit more, right? Yeah. We got yeah. we got the beer burns. Yeah. This is this is it's it's not all rosy and <laughs> mm. yeah. happy time. Because, yeah, because cities can be a little bit pretentious. A, uh, uh, and then it, the country uh, countryside you get the real deal. Like, I remember because <laughs> you're doing some workshop at a holiday program. And you arrive, and the guy's like, "Who are you?" Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm oh, here to run the drumming. Yeah, yeah, oh, I thought you were some <laughs> Yahoo with your dreadlocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, what? No, no. I'm here to do the program. I've forgotten that. Yeah, man. Yeah, I did a lot of those uh, cultural workshops, drumming and uh, storytelling yeah, yeah. workshops. So you did a couple. Even at my school, you did a couple. Yeah, the holiday programs, the arts festival. But this particular guy was in a church in Atafai. Mm. There was a program, a school, holiday school program happening there, and I had been booked. Um, and then this guy is a, is a church priest, and then he's, mm. I turned up and looked at me and he said, Oh, who are you? <laughs> and then I said, Oh, I'm here to do a school holiday program. And he's like, Oh, I thought you were some Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> you were some Yahoo. <laughs> Was <laughs> an inside joke for a while, the old Yahoo? <laughs> What's a Yahoo? <laughs> yeah, now Nelson, I think, is just very small-minded. And, um, yeah. yeah, there was a community, but you have to be... Yeah, you have to be there from the start, you know. You can't just join halfway and be part of the community. Some of my experience of Nelson, the ones that are vivid is the bad ones. Yeah. When I was still at NMIT, when I was doing those courses I did there, one time I was just walking from uh, the School of Music, just walking down the street to go and go in my car to go back home. And then these young people, Nelson people, driving past and they shouted at me, Nigga! Yeah. And they're youths. Mm. So it's those kind of things that when I think of Nelson, those memories always come back. Depressing and vivid, mm. as Judah says. I think it's a really poignant point that Tafada makes about how Nelson's a really small-minded community and that you can't just join halfway. Probably especially also for him coming at a slightly later age than Paco. Mm. Paco coming when he was five to Nelson is very different to Tafara coming at 14, having lived most of his life and developed all his kind of identity in Botswana and then mm. feeling like how does he fit into this predominantly Pakia town? I really feel like there are a lot of communities in the South Island because the South Island is so much wider than the North Island where it is hard to join halfway through. And I feel like I just noticed that when I moved to Christchurch when I was 14, like I really felt you just had to be born in Christchurch to be able to sort of feel at home in Christchurch and you probably have to be white. It was the first place in New Zealand that I'd ever lived and I'd lived like four or five different cities that I was like, oh, I feel like I will never be part of this place. Are most people there, like, from there? I think so. I think most of the people I went to school with were from there, yeah. Mm. And their parents were from there. Yeah. And maybe their grandparents. You know, it's, it's just quite, it was quite it's different like for me. Yeah. And if you come in late, you're always going to be on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, especially if you come in late and you're a person of colour. Especially if you come in late and you're black. So only a couple of years after Judah, Paco and Paco's mum, Annabelle, moved to Nelson. Annabelle got sick and sadly passed away. In this next section, Judah and Paco remember what a devastating experience losing Annabelle was. When uh, Annabelle died, when your mom passed away, man, it was so hard. Mm. Because I never thought someone so close to me is going to die. Yeah, and especially at a time when we'd just come from Africa, yeah, I think. Yeah, you know. We were like thrown in the deep end, yeah. sort of our only connection to the country. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I bet you would have felt even more lonely after <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, man, I was, I was felt like I was thrown in the middle of a desert, yeah. you know. Mm. No family, apart from the dance, and everybody was feeling sad and, mm. yeah. you know, it was, was really tough. You remember the time in Christchurch? Yeah, yeah, I remember. When, when your mom got sick and we went and stayed in Christchurch, we were there for about a month. Yeah, no, I remember that. Walking around and uh, and then all of a sudden we get a phone call saying, yeah, she's in a coma. 
Yeah. I don't think I've actually ever heard the full story. Yeah. Or actually what happened. Man, what happened was 2007. Oh, she just started having headaches. We were like, what's going on? You like non-stop headaches. And then we went to the doctors. And then in the end, maybe after a week or two, two weeks of headaches, we went to the hospital to get a mm-hmm. check. And then uh, the doctors did an MRI scan and they yeah. found that she had a dark patch on, in her brain. Yeah. It was yeah. a brain cancer. Brain mm. tumor. Yes, brain yeah, tumor. Yeah. And then they realized that day it was serious. Yeah. yeah. So we flew to Christchurch same day and went to Christchurch Hospital and we were there. It took a long time also to get the diagnosis. Like they had to do a, what they call biopsy, get a sample from the brain. Yeah. You know, sent to Melbourne. And tested off. Yeah, yeah, took yeah. weeks, man. We were I can imagine. hanging around Christchurch and she was on mm. sorts of all sorts of medications to keep her out of the pain because yeah. she was in pain. Yeah. And by the time the the results came back from mm. uh Melbourne, they had to confirm. It was just to confirm what kind of cancer it is. Mm. I remember it was too dangerous to operate. Yeah, it was too dangerous to operate. So and then, and then the doctors had to decide what kind of treatment the yeah. options it could be. And the week that they decided to set a day to start the treatment, mm. that's the week that she went into a coma. Yeah. Well, yeah. after she passed away, yeah, were you she... thinking about going back home more? Or? Yeah, yeah, mm. man. If it wasn't for thinking about you guys, because mm. I thought it would be have been better for you guys to do school here. Is that why you pushed me to come here more? Is it because you knew that she was not feeling well or? Yeah, no, she, we started the process. Yeah, I think we started it was after the... she passed that we really tried to. Keep yeah, her. yeah. I mean, we, before, even before we, she got sick, we already mm. had plans to bring you here. And then after she passed, mm. I like, I had, I had to do it because I knew Paco was already in school here and I knew yeah. we were not going to be going back sooner. Mm. And I thought it would be better for you both to come, to come here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, once she got in a coma, the doctor said uh, they don't think she's going to wake yeah. up. Yeah, she so was... you didn't end her life support? You, she just no, passed away yeah. while she was in coma? Uh, well, they took her off the plane. Oh, they took stuff. her off yeah. the support. They made decision that, no, she's never going to get out of a coma. So, so they had to send yeah. us home. While she was in a coma... Because yeah, I remember a nurse came in, asking what we're doing. And Bob's just like, oh, we're just fishing. And that's when I realized what the situation was. I was like, oh, we're just fishing, are we? Like, mm. she's not going to wake up. Yeah. What was that like for you when uh, you realized that moment? Because the whole time I was like, no, she's going to be fine, she's going to be fine. And yeah. I was like, oh, mm. true. Bob's given up. Maybe, it, maybe it's real. Yeah, I mean... Did you ever cry? Yeah, I was crying for days. Mm. Yeah. I mean, um, I was the same. Like, the whole time we were in Christchurch waiting for the results from... Melbourne, I mm. was sure that she was going to be fine yeah. until she went into a coma. Then it hit me that Your hope then, was getting a bit lower. Yeah, that mm. she, things are really serious. Yeah. 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 It was hard, man. It was the hardest thing. Mm. The hardest, I, I can't think of anything that's yeah. a difficult experience yeah. emotionally yeah. and also just thinking of, you know, someone you've lived with for so long and you've someone so long, you've yeah. journeyed together mm. and then all of a sudden they just die, mm. you know. You know, we, we we didn't think any of us is going to die yeah. anytime soon. We yeah. had plans, live for a long time. had plans of getting old, yeah. you yeah. know. Did you ever think like, oh, I'm not going to find another love again? Was Like, which point were you like, well, maybe it's time I should try find somebody or did it just kind of happen? I think it just happened because I had friends, I had people yeah. coming in and out. Yeah, that was a funny time um, when you and Millie started getting together. How did you feel about it? They didn't even tell me. They kept it a secret. I remember one time I was just in the lounge, just Shiloh and, and Cielo, and they're like, oh, so what's it like now that Shiloh's your stepsister? I was like, they don't go out. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> like, Daddy, like, that. Like, it's, just, it's just the boys at the moment. <laughs> 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 but they're just hanging out with his friends. Yeah. <laughs> and Shiloh's like, no, they go out. Mom said they go out. I was like, oh, you're talking shit. Like, <laughs> take it out of here. <laughs> oh, did Shiloh tell, tell you first? Yeah. 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 I didn't believe it. I was like, no, that's not happening. It's nonsense. <laughs> yeah, no, we tried to 
kind of like at the start just to be kind of like quiet about yeah. it. We didn't want to you know, jump in and try yeah. scare you. Because you both has kids, eh? Yeah, yeah. So delicate, delicate kind of like yeah. introduction step process. Step by step. Step by step, <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't even remember the day I met Melly. I think the day I met Melly was the day you forgot to pick me up. From school? Yeah. That was the day I met Melly. Yeah, somebody forgot to pick me up on the way there. <laughs> That's notorious. Yeah. I remember one time outside my house. So must have happened. No, Every time you me left home, Nothing the teachers happened. would be gone before me. I'd still be waiting outside. They're like, are you sure he's coming? Just wait. Just wait. <laughs> like, I'm the only one at the school still. Then you pull up. <laughs> He'll be here eventually. <laughs> You know, this those times was tough also working in the orchards yeah, because man. it was like, it was always rush, rushing yeah, around. Yeah. Always late for something. No, I didn't know any better though. It's just like, this guy's just being lazy. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, my dad just doesn't care about me today. <laughs> I'm like, nah. Oh, man. Like, I, I, there was, uh, it was tough. I mean, there was, there was times when I was starting work at, before sunrise mm. and finishing at last light, yeah. picking fruit. Yeah, no, it's tough. Yeah, well, it was really tough. I remember when you got sunburned from picking fruit. When I first cut my dress, because I used <laughs> yeah. to have... <laughs> yeah, your neck exposed. Yeah, I used to have those big dress and then I cut them and then my <laughs> neck got exposed to the sun forever. I had had them for maybe 18 years. Yeah. yeah. Mm, that was the time I was doing odd jobs. That was the time when I used to be late picking you guys up. Yeah. You forget that. things. Yeah, <laughs> was too much, too many things to do. <laughs> was too many things to do, man. Was too many things to do. Mm. Yeah, single dad life, eh? Yeah, it was tough. And then I did pruning trees as well. You get paid per tree. Mm. How many trees you have pruned for the yeah. day? Sometimes it was like maybe five dollars for a tree depending on the size of the tree. Yeah, yeah. And you have to make money, you have to really go hard and prune as many trees per day as mm-hmm. you can. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember when I had... Couple SR, tunnels. Couple yeah. tunnels. Yeah. Yeah, I had that. I remember that. From uh, using Sakatias yeah. for a few years. But yeah, we had good times. Remember um, one time when you had a gig, something in Taka Kevin, we were camping there, but I was lying by the fireplace. And then some drunk woman comes over talking about having a call child services or something. Like, where's your dad? What are you oh, doing? Like? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I remember. There was always people threatening to take you off. When I moved from, from Mahana yeah. to Richmond, Paco's auntie, she thought, oh, maybe it's better if I give up the boys so they can be with her. <laughs> I don't know if you ever knew about no. that. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I refused. <laughs> yeah. I told her, no, you're never going to take my boys. <laughs> it's not like they were suffering or anything. I was, we had everything we needed. Yeah. was just that I, well, I was just, we just didn't have wireless internet. I think. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't have internet and all those stuff. Things. I mean, I don't know if you guys felt like we were suffering. No, I didn't. No. We were not suffering. Yeah. We not we all. never went hungry. We always yeah. had food, lived in proper housing. Mm-hmm. But there was a point where uh, I had a falling out with Paco's auntie, and also it was little things like painting a house. The house needed renovation, and we were gonna paint the house because that's how it started. Yeah. She came and saw the kids doing helping me and she got angry that I was letting the kids do the painting that, you know, I probably don't know what I'm doing. And then I decided that I don't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did get upset about it because she was not talking nicely. You know, I'm talking it, I'm, I'm putting it nicely here. She wasn't saying it nicely. We had a falling out and I decided to move out of the family trust house. Uh, to move into Richmond from Nelson. And then that was the point where she suggested that perhaps she can have the boys instead of me living with the boys because my financial situation was not stable. But I did refuse. I said, no, I'm not going to let anybody take my boys off me. And the other the other instance of threatening to call... Uh, what are they called, those people who take Self children away? Yeah, someone threatening to call children away. 
I was at a gig. I took Paco with me to the key. And then I was on stage playing and Paco was just lying there watching, looking at the stars. Yeah. And being happy. And this woman actually <laughs> talked to Paco yeah. instead of talking to me. Told Paco that she's going to call me. It's like, what? Family <laughs> family like, my dad is five meters away <laughs> from the stage. Yeah, and I could see him where he was. So. <laughs> I remember just lying there stargazing and then just this... Big face just completely obstructs my vision. Starts screaming <laughs> at me about, <laughs> yeah, how I shouldn't be lying there. Yeah, apart from those two situations of people threatening to take you guys mm-hmm. away, I don't remember anybody else unless someone was ever talked to no. you about it. As well, like you say, we weren't. We, we were poor, but we weren't. We weren't impoverished. Yeah, yeah we were not suffering. Yeah. You know, we were. We didn't have the luxuries of what some other yeah. families oh, yeah. had, like internet and all that. I mean, <laughs> I'd get like a letter from school asking you to pay money. I'd just put it straight in the bin. Like, oh, Dad doesn't need to see. It. Dad doesn't need to see this. Like, <laughs> too much stress. Oh, no, he doesn't want to see this bill. Like, I'll just hold on to this. <laughs> the school yeah. can wear it. <laughs> I believe you did that. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually I've done some stuff like even for like the school uniforms, I'd always try yeah, to get right. the the second hand one rather than the brand new one. I'm pretty sure the whole school uniform that I got was all second hand except for yeah. the blazer. I think it was the only thing that I, I paid money for, and that was only because the none of the blazers could fit me. Yeah. But everything else, like the pants and everything, was all like second hand yeah. and stuff, you know. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't yeah. cheap, that whole stuff. Yeah, that school was too expensive stuff. to be yeah, And there was, <laughs> there was always things to pay at mm. school. You know, we paid a lot of stuff. Yeah, no, we survived some uh, yeah. some loopholes. Yeah. I remember having to have a second-hand uniform and it's really hard to hide that your uniform is second-hand. <laughs> you know, like, you can't really make it look like first hand and I think I always like felt that. I actually remember when I was like first at primary school maybe we couldn't afford a uniform at all. We had a school uniform at the school but I would just wear this other outfit every single day. Like the school uniform was green and I had this like yellow outfit that I just wore as my own I think it was just like my uniform until I could afford to buy the uniform and we also have these photos of me little on holiday um and I'd just be wearing my school uniform because like I mean they're clothes why not wear them um but yeah I think it's just something that our society as a whole does not appreciate how much our lives are actually held up by the labor of migrant workers here Mm. whether it's fruit picking like what Judah did like so many of our systems are held up by the labor of migrant workers so in this next section, Judah remembers when Puckle started to become ashamed of his identity and stopped speaking his mother tongue. Yeah, you still remember moving to New Zealand, Puckle? Yeah. The yeah, first time yeah. when you came here? Yeah. Yeah, you, you were five and... Uh, I mean, you got to a point with going to Mahana school when I tried to speak to Susan to you, you started refusing to speak back yeah. because we were... We were Embarrassed, yeah, because you wanted to blend in with all your mates. <laughs> yeah, you remember that? Yeah, all those times. You know, I remember those times. Yeah, in New Zealand, people see you're black. Like I've looked at as black, and then back in Botswana, over there I'm white, over yeah. here I'm black. Like this, mm. it was just always an effort to try blend in. <laughs> in Africa, you used to get it as well. Like a lot of people used to call you Lokwanyana. Yeah, which means like a little white boy. I remember one time you were, I don't know, maybe you were three or four, but it was just before we left Africa and we were walking in town and this woman came, yes, passed and she was pointing at you and said, Loko Anyana. And you said, wow, umaka. <laughs> <laughs> Which means you are a liar. <laughs> yeah, that always remember that because you were on point. She called you a white boy yeah. and you're not really a white boy. Yeah. Especially being in New Zealand, like you never let us forget that, you know, we're from Botswana. Yeah, I always remember, make you boys remember that, remember you are, you are, you are, you are Africans. Yeah. Don't forget that. 
Yeah, no, I always wanted you guys not to lose your identity yeah. because it's it's not a nice thing to to lose your identity yeah. and you can really physically feel lost. Yeah. No, I don't think you realize the importance of having your identity until you get older though. Like as a yeah. kid you don't really yeah. see that it's important, you know. It's just yeah. it's, you just see it as another task, like oh, I have to be African today. For you Tafara was different because you were already older when you came yeah. here. The identity crisis was not the mm. biggest problem for yeah, you. Yeah, I think for me it was a lot easier. And I've already, like, I'm back in Botswana. I was moving a lot around anyway. For me as well, if one personality didn't work mm. in that last school, mm. the next school I'm going to try a different personality. Yeah. So by the time I got here, I was used to, to, to trying different personalities yeah, and trying yeah. different ways of blending in. So... Mm. It was, it was just a matter of like, okay, mm. how am I going to blend in this time? How, what am I going to have to do to to be a part of the, the circle, you know? And yeah. it took me a year. I don't know if you guys actually know the story, but everybody that I went to school with them will tell you that for a whole year when I first moved to Garen, I didn't talk to anyone. Mm. I stayed on the fields next to the rugby fields, just literally just looked at people, just observed them, looked at how they act, listened to how they talked and... That was just my way of learning things. It was yeah. just sitting from the sidelines. It was weird, but it helped out yeah, for me. Yeah, the amount of learning around we did definitely. Yeah. definitely you never told experience. me it's good. Nah, you I didn't tell anybody that. about it. <laughs> I, I just That's how I dealt with life, you know. I just moved in and yeah. I just found it easier to watch from a distance and gauge from a distance. Yeah, yeah. cultural adaptation is a process. And I oh, think yeah. it's uh, different people have got different strategies of adapting. Mm-hmm. You know, by the end of the day, you go to bed feeling really tired just yeah. from socializing, you know, talking and thinking, mm. analyzing what people are saying. Sometimes people, someone says something to me, it will take me an hour before I realize what they had said. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like later, oh, this is what that person said. <laughs> I don't know if you're going through this, but like, <laughs> did you find yourself that your dreams... The more you started speaking English, your dreams started being in more in English than in Setswana. And then all of a sudden, all your dreams are in English. Yeah. 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 I think that was the weirdest moment for me is when all of a sudden my dreams stopped being in Setswana and they started yeah. being in English. I was yeah. like, wow, what is going on with my life? Have yeah. I really transisted? Like, is this... Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Kiwi now. <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. now, I still wonder why I can't dream in Sitsuana, even though I can still speak Sitsuana, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just, I try to force my dreams to be Sitsuana, but they just don't, they come you out just all in English. in English. Yeah. yeah. You dream about what you're doing and mm. you're not speaking Sitsuana. Yeah, and the conversations yeah. of yeah. the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the first few months I was dreaming in Sitsuana and... Uh, I don't even know how long it took. You just switched there. Uh, switched and then yeah. all of a sudden I was dreaming in English. Yes, and... An interesting thing yeah. with, with dreams. When we were recording this, Julie was like grabbing my arm and looking at me like and maybe almost crying. I was that emoji with the weepy eyes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I felt so much from that. And even now just listening again, I feel like it's a really beautiful metaphor or analogy for just loss of identity, and it's something that happens so slowly over time that you can't really pinpoint how it happens. But this is like an example of a, like a tangible situation that changes that you can identify and you're like, how does that happen? And him trying to say, I'm trying to force my dreams to be this way, but I can't, and why can't I? I mean, I don't, I can't, I just can't relate. So you I can't, can't relate. No, because I've only ever grown up speaking English. I've only ever lived here. Mm. I can't. Yeah, I don't know what that's like. Okay. Yeah, your whole life has been here. Yeah. So it's not like you've actually had a move where no. your identity shifted because of a move. No, I mean, I've I've moved a lot, but there was there's never been a negotiation of. Becoming a Christchurch identity. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Maybe it is just because I had a different first language that I now feel disconnected to that that hit me harder. Yeah, With my job applications, it's always like 
I apply for jobs that I know I'm qualified for or mm. been a little bit overqualified. Yeah. But I get denied the opportunities and it's always... And sometimes I've asked for uh, feedback to tell me uh, why I didn't qualify for the job. The uh, employer said I didn't know how to speak English. Yeah. Things like that. But I think it's in the name. Yeah. Mm. I don't have the right names. You know, my names don't sound Kiwi. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like if people haven't met you and spoke to you, they might just take from your name that you're not the right candidate. Mm. Yeah. Culturally. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I agree with that a lot. When I came here, I didn't have much of qualifications. I'm a musician, you know, I've always played music. And after I came to New Zealand, especially after uh, Annabelle passed away and I felt like I was so alone and I had to find ways of looking after myself and the boys. So I took some courses and also to try and get away from the orchard work. I get every time I get a little qualification, <laughs> I look for work that is matching that qualification. I never, man, I never succeeded. Mm. <laughs> I never got a job, and then I went on, did my honors degree, finished my master's uh, end of last year, and still no job. So I mean, I'm working. I'm currently working as a self-employed contractor, and I do jobs that are not related to what I have studied. I suspect that that will be the rest of my days in New Zealand. So that's always a shame to see the, all the labor you put in not, not bear mm. fruit. Yeah. If you think, what, back seven years picking apples to now uh, yeah. a master's degree, like it's not a complete failure by... In, exactly, means. and I've got experience. It's weird though, yeah. like it's weird because uh, maybe, maybe it's also an age thing, I don't... I don't always believe it's truly a name thing, but like, again, I'm from a different age and different era. So I think there is jobs out there for people that are not Kiwi, but... You've got spe- it's, uh, specific yeah, skills. Yeah, 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 specific skills. It requires a lot of specific skills, but also the age, I think, is yeah. one of the biggest factors in mm, mm. in applying for jobs and things like that. You know, you're 50 now and, yeah, yeah, you no. know, as far as they're concerned, you've run out of your energy, you know. Um, you know yeah, you, you, re- this, you <laughs> yeah, should be retired and not trying to start a new career, yeah, you know. Yeah. No, I totally yeah. agree with you. So, the, yeah, the yeah. ageism. Big ageism. But I think back home is the opposite, isn't it? Like, if you're older, you kind of have more experience, yeah. you're more wiser, so yeah, you're I mean, more I likely mean, to be hired for those kind of yeah, positions. I mean, yeah, it does work, I agree with you, but mm. even here there's people my age who are working in the government now. Mm. Like yeah. now I'm a, a qualified policy analyst. Yeah. I could get a job analyzing policy or advising yeah. on policy. Yeah, And those are the jobs I've been looking for mm. now. Mm. Yeah. But I have, uh, like I said, I've given up on the... Mm. Uh, prospects of looking for work. The Kiwi perception of of Africans is obviously still like it's not amazing, but say compared mm. to the general Kiwi perception of Maori people, mm. I think we'll probably look at it in a more positive light. I've almost seen it work in the yeah. reverse. Like they're they're surprised to see you know an African person be well spoken or something, and then you get sort of you you almost perceived as better than you are just because you're better than you're expected to be. Oh yeah, no, I definitely I definitely see that happening. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like mm. the more well spoken you are as a African, yeah, like someone more, just someone like, just as smart like, as me. Wow, that's why this guy's I'll so look smarter just because I'm black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. You know, he speaks really smart. He's 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 obviously well educated, even though he's not necessarily same educated. as every other person. Yeah, like, yeah. When expecting me to be like, right. yeah. just yeah. talk like the way you yeah. you wanted me to <laughs> talk. Mm. very depressing (laughs) I think it's explained in such a good way as well when someone thinks so lowly of you that somehow they think you're better I'm constantly surprised by my capacity to be angry (laughs) (laughs) like even when they're trying to compliment you but it's actually a form of white supremacy Mm, mm -hmm. yes in this next section, Judah, Tafara and Paco discuss whether they feel a sense of belonging to the broader African community in Wellington. There's quite a 
a core group of, of young African people, especially in Wellington, that are mm-hmm. making a big big effort to make it a community and making sure everyone's yeah. connected and mm. that's really helped yeah. with identity as well. I actually think for the younger like younger group, like our age, me and Parks' age, we have a community without having a community. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody knows everybody, everybody knows what everybody's up to, like but we don't necessarily go around seeking that information. We just know yeah, it yeah. just because we're all in that same kind of circle. So yeah, and I think it's slightly different for you guys. For my generation, I think the African community, I feel like it's fragmented. Mm. Ethiopians are Ethiopians. Mm-hmm. Eritreans are Eritreans. Eritreans. Yeah. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. us from the South, even with Zimbabweans. I mean, I've got a few South African friends mm. and Zimbabwean friends. We don't really hang out as a community, but mm. we have conversations you got a much mm. better sense of community than us, the older people. Yeah. Yeah. In New Zealand, we don't see each other. It's like, oh, we're the Botswana boys. It's yeah, like, yeah. we're yeah. the African yeah, boys. The African. So yeah. everybody yeah. else that's from Africa doesn't see each other as Ethiopian boys. It's like, oh, we're just yeah. Africans. So yeah. We all listen to the certain music. Yeah, yeah. We all watch anime. So there's always that one little element thing yeah. that, that brings, you brings together. us together. Not necessarily yeah. being African itself, but... There's always something else that brings us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely generation. You guys, your generation, you all speak English. So it's easy. You can speak to each other easily. But for my generation, there's a lot of uh, Africans who don't speak English. So even if you really want to express that uh, uh, identity socialization, there's still still people, like I always greet East Africans, especially older men and older ladies. Mm. I always say hello. Sometimes I say, where are you from? And then they just nod their head, you know, you know, where are you from? They just nod their head. It's like, that's the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. They they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking with the identity thing, <laughs> I found out speaking to an African person. Oh, where you from? And they want to say like, oh, lower hot bros. Like, Bro, come on, where you from? I've, like, I've had a couple of times <laughs> where I'm like, you know, know, that's not what I meant. Bro, you know like, what I mean. We both African. I'm yeah. not gonna. I'm not trying to rule <laughs> no, you. I, I, wanna, like, <laughs> I know you live in lower hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even ask young people anymore yeah, because that's yeah. what I've got. Yeah, yeah. Ask people of your age. Where I've you actually had a couple of times. They where, tell me the, yeah. the, the suburb in, in New Zealand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few people where I have asked them like that and they kind of got offended that I asked them. Yeah. So, well, can you not say No, like, obviously, obviously yeah, like, you live in lower heart. Like, but where's your ethnicity from? Yeah. And they get offended by that question. They're like, yeah. no, like, I'm a Kiwi. You shouldn't be asking me mm. where else I'm from. Like, but you're obviously so not Asian Kiwi. Like, I feel a lot know? of like East Asian, like Indian. Yeah. Sort of, I always have to say afterwards, share that I've migrated as well, just to make them feel a bit more comfortable. Yeah, sure them that yeah so I'm, I'm not asking, you yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. asking because I've had the same experience. Yeah. Like, ask them where they're from. There's definitely shit, a certain yeah. situation where you feel like you have to explain yourself yeah. you, why you're asking mm. certain questions. Yeah, but what I've also noticed with Africans, some people, especially your generation, they kind of like don't want to talk too much about Africa. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely certain people I've, there. I mean, I've talked to young people who... Kind of like if you if you start raising the issue of Africa, mm. ask them, oh, what part of Africa mm. you come mm. from? They look like they they are blush or they embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. They want to yeah. walk away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I had a guy the other day that um, I had to get his details for his receipt for when he was buying shoes, and I was like, oh, what's what's your first name? He's like, oh, Tabo. I was like, oh, Tabo. Like your yeah. name is Tabo, not Tabo. Yeah. You yeah. know, like but. <laughs> He felt like he had to pronounce it that way to the, me because he didn't, he didn't know whether yeah. I spoke or that was from Africa or yeah, not. Yeah. Like, but I was like, oh, you mean Tabo? He's like, oh, yeah, Tabo. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, like, like yeah, he's, Tabo. Yeah, yeah. He just said it like in a way where it was like pronounced by a European person. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, no, like, I know the name you're talking about is Tabo, not Tabo. And yeah, he's like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Now oh, you're from Botswana too. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. from Botswana. He's like, yeah, I'm from. South Africa was like, yeah, I realized the name, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's just funny that even for me, sometimes when I tell people my name, if it's not an African person, I'm going to say it's Tafara. Yeah. You know, but if it's somebody that African is Tafara, yeah. you know, you, the certain pronunciation. Yeah. Well, you I'll introduce different myself people. differently yeah, to yeah, someone yeah. from the islands. Or well, most people I just tell them, just call me Taf, because yeah, that's yeah. what everybody else calls me. And then. 
if it's an African person, I'd be like giving them my full name. Yeah. Call me Tafara. Yeah, identity is an interesting uh, phenomenon. It definitely is interesting how we kind of change ourselves, even within our own communities, because mm. of how we've assimilated and something I really notice when I go into restaurants like Chinese restaurants or takeaways and I know I'm speaking to someone who's Chinese and English is their second language and I know that it would be like easier if I just spoke Mandarin and then we're both speaking English like it's both of our second languages even though we kind of know the first language and it's just strange and I feel like I'm like lying or pretending like I'm denying my identity in front of them. Do you think it's always harder to be like to be whatever your culture or identity is in front of other people who know more about it mm. because you're more likely to fail yeah you're more likely to make mistakes yeah and you don't want to shame yourself so you yeah. just pretend you're not part of that at all yeah I don't know maybe it's because I'm part white but I feel like I can be more comfortable being like, yeah, I'm Sri Lankan in front of white people that I get in front of other Sri Lankan people because they're like, really? And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) So true. But then I hear hear so many people saying this as well. Like it's not just, I feel like everyone has this. It's like imposter syndrome for your own identity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And in this next part... Judah talks about where he sees himself growing old. Definitely, I would like to be an old man in Africa. There's there's many reasons for that. I love New Zealand. I call New Zealand home, but uh, Africa is my home. And I don't want to end up in old people's home here, in a retirement Mm. home. We don't have retirement home system in Africa. You get old in your own house and looked after by your family until you are a dead old man. When your father passed, I noticed that you you changed a lot. You're like, nah, I need to get back. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not dying here. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, that like that. My father dying, it made me realize really I need to go back home. Yeah. You know, yeah. because I, now I think about my own mortality. Yeah. You know, and I think about my age, I'm getting I'm getting old and yeah. I don't want to be an old man here. I see myself moving back to Africa in the foreseeable future. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Entitlement was a word I was looking for. You feel like the sense of entitlement you get from being at home, mm. like you just feel more comfortable. Yeah, more, exactly. Like you can go be an old man, walk around the streets, not, yeah. not yeah. feel like you're... In someone else's, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you don't have to be lifted up in a plane if you die, you know. Yeah, exactly. You can just die, and we carry you down two meters down the road to bury. You. It bury me. <laughs> yeah. If 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 things were go my way, I'll be moving next year. I'll be back in Africa next year, but I don't want to be in my sixties in Africa. Mm. Yeah. I think that's my goal too. You know, I want to be retired back home. Like I want to have kids. Maybe have them grow up in New Zealand or something somewhere else. But definitely when it comes to to laying back and starting the farming, going back home for that. Yeah. There's no place like home. Mm. New Zealand is always going to be our second home. But uh, oh, yeah. Africa is our home. Mm. I feel I feel at home both places. Obviously, mm. I've, still, I've got identity here. I think for you, it would take a little longer to make that decision, though. Yeah. The idea of home has never been something super crystal clear for me. When I was little, I used to always wish I wish I was just either black or either white because mm. then I could at least go somewhere without, you know, seeming like an outsider. Mm. Yeah, the home's just where you feel comfortable. Doesn't, like, but, time yeah. nowadays make you feel more grateful that you're both, though? Yeah, no, for sure, for sure now. Yeah. Because obviously mm. you have less perspective as a kid and whatnot, but yeah. obviously I'm happy with who I am now. But, also, mm. yeah, the idea of home has never been something... Super rock. So, when people so, ask so me, set in stone, eh? people ask me, "Oh, where do you prefer?" I'm just like, "Oh, I've lived both places. I enjoyed both places." You yeah, know? Mm. it's never been like this is my home or this is my home. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you got two homes. Yeah, mm-hmm. you got options. Yeah, yeah, which is a good thing. Yeah, well, I think about the Christmas killing the goat in Africa or Christmas, you know, at Thelma's house in Nelson. It's the it's the same feeling. Still Christmas with the family. Yeah. I think I'd be just as comfortable in either sitting. I'm super proud of you guys. You know, you 
grew up into a fine young man and uh, kind of like happy that you both turned out <laughs> fine after all, you know, after all. Just those, kind of happy. Happy. Not fully happy, just kind of oh, happy. I'm, I'm happy, man. <laughs> no, I think it's crazy. I'm pretty I'm proud of you, boys. Um, you make me proud every time, you know. I don't know. I think you made fatherhood look pretty easy. It made me feel like I can be a dad anytime I want to. Yeah. You made it seem pretty effortless, so as long as I have boys, I know I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the first family we've had on the podcast where we've just had the men from the family talking. And I love this episode, and I really love that it ends with Tafada saying that he thinks his dad has made fatherhood look easy. Mm. That is such, that must be such a cool thing to hear. As a parent. Yeah. yeah. And so we want to say a huge thank you to Judah, Tafada and Pako for sharing these personal stories, for opening up about the grief and loss that has happened to the family, for opening up about their struggles with identity and finding work and their journeys here in Aotearoa. We are so fortunate to hear from you. You can check out photos and videos of all our families on Facebook at Where Are You From Really, Instagram at Combos With My, and on RNZ's website. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was created, produced, and directed by Julie Zhu and Saray De Silva. Location recording by Joey Siasoko. Studio recording by Jill Eva Craig at The Secret Beehive and sound edited and mixed by Emmy Pagoni. Our cover image is illustrated by Ngamutane Jones at Miss Memo and designed by Sonia Milford. A huge thanks also to Kay Elmers and Tim Burnell from RNZ Commissioning. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. He Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.